Welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon, where story creators talk story creation. If you have any suggestions or comments, please email them to releasingyourinnerdragon at gmail.com. Your hosts are Maxwell Alexander Drake, creative writing teacher, award-winning novelist, former lead fiction writer for Sony's EverQuest Next, currently writing and producing an animated TV series titled Guards, and Marie Mullaney, author of Songwheel Chronicles and the host of Just In Time Worlds, a fantasy world-building channel on YouTube. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, we have spoken about Hero's Journey. Let us turn our attention to a specific arc and talk about redemption. Now, I, in, a, in our discussion, I said that I have a particular bugbear here. And it is people who say that Darth Vader was a redemption arc. One good deed at the end of your life is not a redemption arc. I'll even go a step further than that because I, I think you're being too kind. He didn't just do one good deed. He saved the life of his own child. I think Hitler would have saved the life of his own child. Like that's such a selfish deed that I don't even think it counts as a good deed. And the other thing about the dark. You have, you have to be a special, like there are psycho people in the world who would hurt their own children. They do exist, but oh, yeah. we call them psychotic yeah. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'll, you know, and again, to even go even one further, the reason why it cannot be a redemption arc, in my opinion, is Darth Vader murdered children. Yeah. There's no coming back from that. You can't murder children and then actually make me ever give a crap about you ever again. You are burnt. You're a piece of garbage that deserves to die. There's, there, there's, that's the only redemption that I will get from you is when you are no longer breathing. And maybe that's my feminine side coming out in me, but <laughs> I don't care. Like you, you, you're irredeemable. You're irredeemable. If you have a character do something so heinous you have a character who you who rapes women all the time, and then you're going to redeem them? No, you're not. I'm sorry, not happening. I'm I'm again. It's about fantasy fulfillment, and the only fantasy fulfillment I want for a rapist is to be raped and then die by being raped. Like that would be my <laughs> fantasy fulfillment for that. Like like you know, again, if Darth Vader had gotten murdered by a pack of fifty children, that would have been a redemption arc for me. <laughs> the the children are redeemed by just stabbing him over and over again so yeah no it, it, it doesn't work as a redemption so, so okay so i mean i i have a thought there though Did, have you ever read stephen donaldson i think so what the character is a leper and then he goes into this oh yeah you're talking about that's I thought yeah. I recognized it. You're talking about the, the Thomas Covenant. The Thomas, Thomas Co Co Covenant. There we go. Sorry. I was the name of the books were escaping me. Yes. The Thomas Covenant. Yeah. yeah. I read those though when I was like 11 and 12. That's why I was yeah. like, I feel like I know that name. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. The Thomas Co Covenant. Yeah. So, so there, I mean, that character does some heinous, heinous, heinous things. And yet, there is a coming back. He does come back. From, like, there is an arc there. There is a way back from there. But I don't... So, again, I was 11 or but, 12 when I read that. Yeah. I don't think he murdered children. I don't think he raped people. Oh, he did rape. Did he? Yeah, okay. that chick. 
the first when he stepped through in the context of the world that he was stepping through it was a lesser thing but he did and then he and her, her mother still helped him because he's the prophesied one um that that guy was a reprehensible hero yeah i don't uh, remember it the, the, yeah. so my story on the thomas covenant chronicles was so when I was, I mean, I read The Hobbit when I was eight, mm. and, and I know you have a butt, I want you to get there, but this is my Thomas mm. Covenant story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I literally would read anything. I'd read cereal boxes. I'd read, yeah. I'd read anything. And the Thomas Covenant Chronicles was the first novel that I ever put down. So I read all of book one and I was like, okay, nothing happened, but it's got a lot of potential. I read all of book two and I was like, okay, nothing happened, but it's got a lot of potential. I read all of book three until I got, uh, there was about 80 pages left in the book. And I was only like I said, 11 or 12. Mm. I had never not finished anything at that yeah. point in my life. And I got, there was like 80 pages left. And I, I remember thumbing through the last pages and went, nothing's going to happen. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I literally should stop reading this. And so I did, I put the book down and I've never finished it yeah. because as an 11 year old, I realized that it was just, it was a lot about, oh, look at the potential this guy has. Look, there's potential that this might do something. <laughs> and I, he just kept bait and switching me and bait and switching yeah, me. He did, he really does. I literally, it's the first book I ever put down and did not finish. So, so anyway, you had a butt. Yeah, so, so my butt is, uh, so, I mean, I, I won't say I enjoyed the Thomas Covenant Chronicle. But I did appreciate. How old were you in Reddit too? Uh, I think I was a little older. I, I was in high school somewhere. Yeah. Um, so you know, age has a lot to do with it as well yeah. because we see the world differently. Yeah, yeah 100%. I got um, a lot of young friends. You know, I, I hang out with a lot yeah. of, you know, 20-ish year olds. <laughs> and so they can do things that I can't do where they're like, yeah. We'll watch, like, they'll come to my class or whatever, and I'll, I'll use Finding Nemo. And so they'll go back and watch Finding because the last time they watched it, they were six. Yeah. And yeah. they got all this out of it. And then they go to my class where I really only teach the Marlin side. And they're like, I don't really remember any of that. <laughs> and then they'll go back and they'll rewatch it. And they're like, it was a different movie. And I'm like, yeah, because you're a different human being now. Yeah. So yeah. that but, has something to do. But anyway, so the, for me, there, there is a path back. Um, and actually, like, have you read Glenn Cook's Black Company? Yeah. Okay. So there are, I mean, I mean, reprehensible, reprehensible main characters there, like acting like the worst kinds of soldiers in victory, essentially. And yet there is a path to making such characters interesting and to achieving redemption, even for characters like that. But it is not a, oh, I saved the life of my adult son, and then I'm suddenly a hero and a false ghost. Yippee. No. That, that is not how those characters come back from there. So you brought this up, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it. You brought this up before we started oh, this. And, and, sorry, just before you got there. And especially not when you're inciting event. The thing that drove you to, to become what you are is, oh, I wanted better health care. Because that is the motivation that Darth Vader had. Oh, I was afraid my wife was going to die. So I needed better health care. So I killed 50 children. I mean, he also wanted the power. Yeah. He, he, he wanted the dark side. Yeah. 
he wanted that added to his arsenal. But that's why saving his child is not a redemption. Anyway. Right. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree with you on that. No, where I was going to go, and like I said, you brought this up in our pre, pre, pre-prep of this, but I'll bring it up here because I think it fits really well. But the Bucky arc in the Winter Soldier, the Falcon and the Winter Soldiers TV series. So I, I think they could, and, and you said this, you, you were like, I think they could have pushed it. And I 100% agree with you. I think they really missed a little bit of what they could have done with that, that pain. But here's the thing about Bucky. You know, we meet Bucky in the first Captain America movie, and he's he's like a really good all-American boy. Hmm. Like he he risks his life. The whole reason why he even gets you know captured by Red Skull and all that in the beginning, because he literally is risking his life to save other people, and he's hmm. trying to live up to. He's a normal guy trying to live up to what this now magically enhanced human can do. Hmm. You know, and even before then you know, before Captain America was Captain America, when he was that little scrawny kid and getting, you know, picked on and beat up, Bucky was there to, to fight the bullies. And cause Bucky was a bigger dude to this little scrawny, you know, shrimp looking dude. And so we know how good of a human being he was. Yeah. And then we watch him go through decades and decades of being this horrible murdering, killing, you know, despicable thing. But we also know that he doesn't have any control over it. He's not making any decisions. He's a tool. He's a, he's a pistol and somebody else is, is holding it and pointing it and pulling the trigger. Yeah. He's, he's not, you know, can you hold the pistol responsible for, for doing that? And so we, we have that, that, that empathy of like, oh my God, can you imagine being a good person that has to live through this? Hmm. And so, you know, now that he's regained his, his independence back, and we meet him in, in the Falcon of the Winter Soldier. He's got, got that list where he's trying to make amends. And we have that moment where he murdered a guy's child for no reason other than he saw his face. He yeah. wasn't one of the targets. He wasn't, you know, a, a one of the players in this big, he's just this, this guy on, I think he was at a convention for whatever job that he was doing. I think he was a computer programmer or something like that. Like literally nothing. Nothing to do with anything. Right? Yeah, but he yeah. witnessed it and you can't have witnesses. And so now Bucky has gone back and he's befriended the guy's father and he's doing things for him and he's helping him with his groceries. And he's, it's like, but you know, he's got to admit it. Yeah. He's got he's to say it. Got to get on his knees and, and be like, I'm the one. I know what happened to your son because I put a bullet in his head. Mm. I did that. I didn't, have any control over myself at the time i was completely somebody else's puppet but it still was me and like like i do think they failed on that redemption arc that they really could have gone down how painful you know what the tragedy is there is they didn't fail until they only gave us one second of yuri's reaction that was when they failed because up until that point that redemption arc was beautiful and then they cut from Yuri's reaction right away, and they go to a five-minute speech about how the senators should do better after the flag smashers had shot up the whole marina. Uh, uh, okay, what, what was the point of that speech? 
versus the humanity that we were seeing in Bucky's. What? <laughs> there, there was a lot of missed opportunities in that, in that TV series. People try to be a little too heavy-handed with certain things, and that heavy-handedness destroys a lot of storytelling. Well, it's heavy-handedness on yep. idiot, idiosms. Yeah. When you have an agenda that you're trying to get uh, to the audience that's watching this story, but the agenda literally has nothing to do with the story, you're going to fail every time. Yeah. And that's exactly. That's it exactly. You know what it is here. It's it's the reason why, and I'll, I'll I'll go to the safer side because there is one side that we can absolutely thrash on. It's the reason why Terry Goodkind, in my opinion, failed with uh, the Sword of Truth series, whereas the Chronicles of Narnia succeeds in. Mm. Both are pushing a religious agenda on the audience. The difference is, is one, the story's not about that, and so therefore it's just this heavy-handed, in-your-face, I don't want, why am I listening to you preach at me? Whereas the Chronicles of Narnia was much more in line with the story. So even though there's this message, this Christian message that, that the author is pushing on the audience, he's doing it in, in the way that, because, because reality is, is every story. And I, and, and we, every we talked story about has this, an agenda. Well, we talked about this in the, um, in the, in the, the hero's journey. Yeah. You're, you're proving a theme. Yeah. You have an agenda, you know, in Lord of the flies, Golding believes that all humans are born evil. Yeah. I don't I don't believe that. That's that's not what I believe. I believe innately all of us are are good people. Yeah. So, so, do, so do I, but I believe Lord of the Flies. I, I huh? like I bought into Lord of the Flies. Like not not that I believe Golding's what he's positing, because I do believe that people are good people. Have you but but at the same time, um, the book was very well written. Certainly. But in my opinion, what happens at the end of that, when, when Piggy is killed and yeah. everybody takes that pause to decide which side of the theme we're going to be on, mm. I actually think that the, that the actual thing that would happen is that, you know, Jack and his boys would go, oh, crap, we have taken this too far. Oh, we need to. All right we just killed someone. We need to take a step back. And that unfortunately would prove that all humans are born innately good, which is not what Golding was trying to prove in his story. He was trying to prove that all people are born evil, which is why they went, Hey, we just killed piggy. Now we're going to kill you, yeah. Ralph. And so that, you know, that was the proving of that side of it. So the reality is, you know, you can say, Oh, you can't have an agenda in, in a, in a, in a story, Every story is an agenda. Every story is about proving one thing and disproving another based off your thematic element. My point is to say, if you're a good enough writer and you understand thematic elements and how to line up the thematic element that you're trying to do in the story with your actual religious, political, whatever, um, social connotation, then you will have a successful story because it makes... 1984 was is probably the heaviest handed social commentary that I you know that exists like it it's it's a heavier hand than Narnia or even good kind right 
but but, but it's it... still a great read. Like I what read it again it? the other day. You know. But was it fiction or prophecy? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, it was fiction. <laughs> and people who call it prophecy need to remember that he was writing it by saying Nazi Germany and Stalin. Like those are the things he was juxtaposing. I know you know. <laughs> I'm just just yeah. thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. You can have, you know, if you could agenda, you could be you can be heavy-handed. But if your agenda is some social, you know, thing yeah. that you want to push, some political thing you want to push, some some religious thing you want to push, it's fine. You just have to understand that it has to be the story. It has to yeah. be the yeah. thematic element that you're doing. The problem with today's uh, things, especially, unfortunately, in a lot of the Fantasy. superhero genres. The mm -hmm. superhero genres don't have those as the thematic elements, and so they're shoved in, and they break the story. They actually make the story, not only do they not give you the message that these people are trying to put in, mm -hmm. it, it actually does the opposite, where everyone's mad at the message because it hurt the story. It yeah. also hurts yeah. the story, and so you just can't like that's what I mean. That's the problem. That even I have with Philip, Hollywood. even Philip Pullman, right? Uh, the the Northern Compass, um, the oh, atheist, the, the atheist yeah, the, the, story. The, um, yeah, um, the, the Golden Compass. Golden Compass. Golden Compass. So, I'm an atheist, and I didn't particularly like those books because I I thought that it was too much. You know, and I enjoyed the Narnia books conversely, and I'm still an atheist. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did as well because the because the, the religion was the world building and not the thematic yeah. elements. Yeah, and so the thematic elements and the the world building didn't go hand in hand in the Golden Compass as good as it could have been. And yeah. so, yeah, I do believe that he failed more than what. Um, you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, I thought, did great. It's still one of my favorite, you know, series. Of now, I, I was eight when I read it, yeah, so yeah. it's got a special place in my heart. Um, but still, yeah. you know, it still comes down to that, to understanding. So getting back to the redemption arc, yes. you know, I think, I think what we're saying, and I think we both agree on this, that the, first of all, and this is where we might disagree a little bit, and that's fine. I, I think that to to be redeemed, you can't do things that are irredeemable. Because I, I, to me, there are just things that are irredeemable. And I'm never going to, as a fan, I'm never going to allow you to be successful with your story in my head because you've done something that's irredeemable. So again, I don't remember much about the the, um, the Thomas Covenant series. I was 11. I haven't read it since. Didn't finish it when I was 11. I honestly don't remember even the rape scene because again, at 11, that that's not going to impact me as much as when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, yeah. and now. So now, you know, the crime of rape is, is, is heavy on my soul. Whereas an 11 year old, I mean, sure, maybe I understood that it was a bad thing or, or, or a no-no thing, but did I really understand the life-destroying event that would happen, you know, from that and destroy not only that one person's life, but, but you know, the circle that is around that person's life could be absolutely irrevocably destroyed, whereas now that crime is detestable to me. 
because of the fact of, of how much I know, how much damage that it actually does. Um, so, and again, that's why, you know, as we get older, we change, we see the world different, we, we grow. So that's, that's the one thing we might be a little different on. There's things for me as a fan that I just disagree, that there's just not, there's no redemption coming back from that. You've, you've burnt that character in my mind, but it does need to be, you know, and, and again, I think Bucky is one of those, one of those things, like if you can show me that he didn't have control over it, but it still affected him. He still remembers it. He still lived, lived through it and suffered through it. That is somebody that absolutely can come back from that because of the situation that it was. So it was more of a possession as opposed to something like that. Um, but they also, have, I think what we do agree on is yeah. that they have to earn it. Yeah. They have to actually go through, you know, a thing. Redemption and, and has to be earned. Uh, there's one example that I that I do want to go into because it's my favorite example of yes. redemption arcs. But you you had some things to say, so so I I'm I'm almost done actually with my second book, and in there I have a scene where Louis, my assassin character, uh, because I do regard assassination as a crime, even if you know in, even if in the context of their world they don't. Like to me, it is a big deal that you take people's lives, like. And I think that it should be a big deal that you take somebody's life. So in, in there, there's a, there's a scene where he doesn't take somebody's life who sees his face. He actually doesn't. He pays the guy a bribe, says I was never here and goes away. Because it is a measure of change of things that have happened. But none of that would have been, would have been possible without certain events that happen in the first book that might be seen as irredeemable. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a journey. <laughs> well, and, and it's kind of funny because the example I want to use is a hitman's bodyguard. Yeah. In my opinion, you're, you're not going to get a better example of a redemption arc than that movie. Cause it's actually two redemption arcs. Mm. It's two redemption arcs intertwined with each other. So it's, it's Samuel L. Jackson who plays an assassin and Ryan Reynolds who plays somebody who is a private contractor who protects people against assassination. Mm. And like, they're fantastic. And they're, but they're different redemption arcs. Yeah. So the, the reality is, and by the way, I think it's on Hulu or Netflix or something like that right now. I just noticed that it just dropped. So if, if you have not seen it and you have one of those services, highly recommend there's one thing in there that pisses me off from a from a practical standpoint um samuel L. jackson takes a high-powered rifle bullet to the back of his leg and he has to dig it out which means it hit his bone that's the only way it's not going to come out if a high-powered rifle bullet hits your bone it shatters it literally it's not usable and yet he still even though he limps a little bit he still runs around on it he walks it off it's like no that literally the bone in that leg is now just fragmented there's no the whole thing would just be another joint at this point so that bothered me and i'm like like if you just wanted to give him a minor wound then have it go straight through the flesh of his calf that would slow him down but it wouldn't he could still suffer through it and kick somebody even though it'd be painful he would still, he could still run on it he could still limp on it 
But if you're going to dig that bullet out, that means it hit the bone. That means that bone is gone. <laughs> like you're going to have to have reconstructive surgery on that uh, to, to be able to use it. But that's just, I'm an ex-military guy. Things like that bug me. That's literally it though. That's my only gripe about the entire movie. The movie was fantastic as far as what they do. But, but the biggest thing, and this, I'm almost loath to say this because it's a spoiler. It's a huge spoiler. When did it come out? Uh, five, six years ago. Okay. So if you haven't yet seen it, um, this yes. is a spoiler warning. Yeah, you may want to skip this. But if you have seen this, is, this is really interesting because it's, it's this greatest example of a redemption arc. So the Ryan Reynolds character, when we meet him, he is like the perfect everything he's the perfect bodyguard he has a perfect record he, he is gorgeous he's got you know two thousand dollar suits he's got this hot girlfriend he's got gorgeous cars he's making bank and then after you meet him after the everyman and you meet him he's handing off this japanese guy that he's being paid to protect and his whole team is working perfect and everything's great they get him to the they get him to the airport he gets up onto the to the private jet and then Samuel Jackson's character puts a bullet through the Japanese guy's brain through the window of an airplane. Like it's a, it's a crazy, incredible shot. Yeah. And uh, later on, you find out that Samuel Jackson, like, yeah, it's probably the best shot I've ever made in my entire freaking life. Could not believe I made that shot. Um, it ruins Ryan, uh, Ryan Reynolds' character's life. Ruins it. He loses his money, his status, his wealth. He's, he's now like, like because he's the, failed, right? He's completely failed, no. and he's burnt in the industry. And so now he's taking jobs like the the next job that he has um, is, is this coked out, disgraced CEO that that the the he's got to get him out of the building because the stockholders just want to basically lynch him in a mob mentality. So it's not even like this high assassin thing. He's just trying to save this coked up you know idiot that, that lost all these people money, and, and just everything is bad. Samuel Jackson's character redemption arc is completely different. So obviously with the Ryan Reynolds character, it's about regaining the status that he had lost. And that's mm -hmm. the redemption that he gets. He, he moves up through the, the, the process of, of, of earning back some semblance of the life that he did. Now that's a very shallow redemption. And so that's not really what it's about. That's, that's like the, the motivating driving factor for the Ryan Reynolds character, because, you know, we all want that if, if we fail, we, we would want that shot, that second shot, that, that, that chance, yeah. but that's very petty. That's very human, you know, a very real world and yeah. not what we're looking for in our fantasy fulfillment. Samuel Jackson's character's redemption is he wants, even though he's an assassin, he literally is just murdering people. He gets paid to murder people. That's all he, he that's all he does. His redemption though, is he wants the world to understand that he's actually saving the world. He is doing things that make life better. He is killing people who deserve to be killed. They're protected by status and power and position, but they're a piece of garbage human beings. And so his redemption is all about that. It's about redeeming himself in the eyes of the world because the world, he's a notorious, most wanted person. And he, so his redemption is about redeeming himself in that light. And 
the brilliant thing about what they did and the reason why those two redemption arcs work so well and and ryan reynolds character goes through a hero's journey arc Mm. sure he has the, the two redemption arcs that are intertwined but he's the hero's journey and he's the one who actually is the main protagonist that we're following but the br- brilliant part of this is is you get introduced to two characters one who's good and one who's evil mm. and at the end the good character realizes he's playing for the evil team and he realizes that the evil guy is the one playing for the good team yeah. And so like that is so amazing the way they threaded it through. And, and again, you're looking at all these scenes that, that build these lessons. And so now we're talking about the theme. So the theme for the hero's journey of the Ryan Reynolds character is, is it good enough just to be a good person if you're playing for the wrong side? If you know, because he's doing the good thing. He's protecting people from being killed. He's, mm-hmm. he's making sure that everyone is safe but he's protecting human garbage that are causing horrible suffering and horrible murders and horrible things that are going on, but they're doing it legally. So they're not like gangsters or whatever. They're not criminals. These are statesmen and politicians and all this, but they're the worst of the worst, which is why people want to assassinate them. And the Samuel Jackson character is taking out horrible, despicable people that are above the law. They can't be, you know, taken to justice. And so like watching him through his hero's journey arc and having him grow from the wrong side of the thematic element to the correct side of the thematic element. One of the beautiful things is, is, is even though the world kind of goes, all right, fine, you might've been killing some piece of garbage people. The world never really forgives the Samuel Jackson character. His yeah. redemption comes when the Ryan Reynolds character forgives him and realizes yeah. he's actually doing the right thing. Like it's just, when you get writing that just sings, when you get writing that hits all elements and, and just, again, screwed up on the freaking bullet to the back of Samuel Jackson's leg, <laughs> but that's a very minor gripe yeah. that an ex-military guy has, as opposed to a writer has. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it, you should watch it again. If, you, if you've already seen it, watch it a second time because, oh my God, what they did in that movie is breathtaking mm-hmm. it, at every level from the writing standpoint, character development, character arcs, just Oh, oh, you know, and everybody talks about how negative I am and how much I thrash on stories, but I only do it when they deserve it. When they're fantastic, they they're make me, fantastic. They make me giddy because they, yeah. you know, Finding Nemo is one of those movies. The yeah. the hit the Hitman's Bodyguard is another one of those movies that just nailed it. Mm. So, oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not all negative. <laughs> you got to do your job, and then I'll be positive. Yeah, you know, I feel I feel much the same way. Like, there are redemption arcs that I enjoy. The Hitman's Bodyguard is one of them. Um, I did enjoy Thomas Covenant in a way. In a way, <laughs> there's even young adult fiction that I enjoy. As I said, I I really enjoy most of Mercedes Lackey's books, and the vast majority of them is coming of age young adult stories but she does them well you know it's not Katniss told with another story or the importance of having a boyfriend otherwise known as Twilight right you know that they're good characters with good plots that tell good thematic stories 
actually, I know what a redemption arc like really felt earned to me. I don't know if you ever saw a TV series called Once Upon a Time. We started watching it. We just, I don't know, something took us out of it and we've never gone back to it. Yeah, so it's currently on Netflix. So if you want to pick it yeah. up, it's there. Um, there, it, it's a story of fairy tale characters in the current day and age. And the Wicked Witch is in there. The, the classic evil queen is in there, right? The evil queen from all the fairy tales. And her redemption arc is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And it's so well earned. And because it's a TV series, they do like scenes where she backslides, mm-hmm. you know, back into being evil queenness and has to be like re-redemptioned back out of it. Making the eventual payoff when she really is on the good side, like really so fundamental. The same for Rumpelstiltskin's arc, actually. It's beautiful in, in that story. So We watched most of season one, I think, and then for whatever reason, because we were watching it live yeah. back when we actually had cable. You yeah. Know, we had to sit there for <laughs> an, in the actual, dark ages. <laughs> an actual hour that was designated <laughs> yeah. for this one thing. Yeah. Not the, you want to watch something? Let's watch something. Bunk, yeah. instant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that that's probably the biggest reason why we we kind of got off on it um was just life is too busy for every thursday at 8 p.m like it's just yep. so hard to do that and the horrible thing about it is back then if you missed it you missed it yeah and like streaming is just awesome streaming's amazing but yeah so that's on that's on netflix um i've been re-watching it there recently because it really like, I loved that show. I thought it was so well done. Uh, a lot of the elements in it. So, I mean, fairy tales distill down to themes, right? They, they're distilled down to hardcore themes, um, especially because they're such short stories. So mm-hmm. the series had elements of that hard distilling down, but they, they did a lot of expansion to fill, you know, a season's worth of TV. Um, and did yeah, it I'll add well. that to our list. I haven't even thought about that show since we stopped watching it. Yeah. Um, but I remember it was interesting. So that is our recommendation for you: is go watch Hitman's Bodyguard and go watch Once Upon a Time. <laughs> yep. If you want to get into redemption arcs. So we've spoken about hero's journey. We've spoken about coming of age. We've spoken about redemption arcs. What else should we cover under the character and story arc? I guess we're just going to go general character. One of the things that I do preach a lot about uh, that I think a lot of people miss is remembering that the characters to themselves are real. And so I look for things like, so in the realm, that's that 20 novel saga that I'm writing currently with those three other writers. I'm filling out things like, like we just broke a story. So we're, we're doing it exactly like a TV series. So we do, literally meet every week. We talk about one specific story. We go through the beats. It's called beating out the story. And then when it's done, when we're, we're hundred percent happy and we green light the episode, mm-hmm. it's called breaking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you break it out. And what it means is you're breaking it out to a writer. So a writer is handed the, the story stub at that point. It's got all the beats already worked out. It's got all the elements. All, and like literally, and that's why 
really, I'm not writing any of these stories. Everybody's writing every one of these stories and I'm not editing any of these stories. Everyone is editing every one of these stories. So even though, you know, my name is on some of them, it really is all of us have written all of them and all of us have edited all of them. But so we're, we're beating out this story. It comes to the scene and I'm like, and, and there was this one villain, this one bad guy. And I, I kept going, look, I really want to kill this guy. I want this guy. I, I want to kill this guy here. And one of the other writers was like, no, I think we can use this guy. I think he can be this reoccurring thing. And, and I have some really good ideas. And he threw those out. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But I don't want to kill him to kill him. This character, because this is one of my stories that, that we happen to be writing. So it's my character that we're doing. And I'm like, my character's never killed anyone. I, this is the moment. I want him to kill someone here. It's a great growth moment that he's going to have to now look back upon and have to deal with. And even though his life was in danger and he's really just defending himself, it's still an amazing great uh, growth moment for a heroic character who has a high moral compass to have taken a life. It's a very big moment in a character's life. And so we, I had this discussion with him because, you know, again, they're all my protégés. They're all people that came yeah. up through my, through my Drake U training. So everything, a lot of things I use as training moments. And I'm like, remember, you know, your characters are a sum of all the events that we not only let them live through, but whatever their backstory is too. So we create that and that's their backstory and that's what they bring to the story. But now they're going to grow and change based off of these things. And so one of the things that I want him to have to experience is killing someone because I don't write killing like they do in Percy Jackson where it's like hey look at that we just killed somebody that has a mother let's go kill something else that has a mother after lunch yay like I don't write like that taking a life is is hard it's hard on somebody who has a, a good moral compass if you're a serial killer if you're a psychopath you don't give a yeah that a curse word you don't give a crap if you kill someone um but my characters are you know, heroes, they're, they're, they have high moral compasses, they have high value systems. So taking a life, even in the defense of your own life is, is hard. It's a hard pill to swallow and something that changes you dramatically. And so this was the moment. And I was like, so let's talk about that. And so what we ended up doing was it, it fit really well to add um, kind of henchmen for this main villain. He already had it in another story. I didn't realize that because that's a story I haven't read yet that I haven't edited. So I didn't realize that the writer who had already written the story had already introduced that this guy kind of travels with a small little pack. I'm like, great. Now he has the pack with him and now I can kill those guys. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the one that, that, that we want to continue using in the future can survive the attack and, and go off and do his thing. But it gives me what I want which is that moment of growth for my character. And so I, I think that's the thing that a lot of writers miss is that they go, oh, we're going to do the, and, it, and again, it turns into the Percy Jackson where it's like, you know, I kill things and it doesn't impact me. I do things and it doesn't impact me. I, you know, one of the things that I loved about Joss Whedon um, when he was first working with the writer's room uh, for Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the very, like before season one even dropped, he actually uh, said something. He said, look, this is a high school girl that's going to kill something every week. Yeah, she's going to kill a vampire or a demon or a devil or, you know, whatever. But she's going to kill something every week. And so I want us to track that. And I want us to start having her basically experiencing PTSD as the story progresses. And he didn't know at that point how long 
the series was going to last. He didn't know it was going to last six, seven seasons or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a cheerleader killing vampires. It's going to get canceled after the first season. Like it's <laughs> Greenland. So there's no way we're making this work, yeah. but still like, but, but as we go through, I want us to, to really focus on that. And, and the great thing is, and it doesn't happen in season one, but once they got renewed and once they found their fan base and it, and it grows and it grows and it grows, you get to watch her, you know, one of the things about PTSD is you start pulling away from, from what you love because it's a protective measure because you see how fragile life is and you get immersed in this death and, and, and all of this. And so you start to pull yourself away mm. from, from the ones that you love. And so she does, you know, mm. Buffy actually makes that as she's going through season two and three and four and so on and so forth to the point where she ends up boning the vampire she's been trying to kill you know, at the end of the series, because literally it's the only thing she can relate to at that point. She's so broken from all the death that she's caused and, and been a part of and seen that the only, the only person that she can literally finally have that connection with is the enemy, the person, you know, Spike, the guy that she's been trying to kill this whole time. She, you know, they bone mm -hmm. because and, and it's such a great story arc for the or character arc for this this because it's not a story arc but it's a great yeah, character yeah. arc this growth arc in in having to deal with this pain and tragedy and so that's the thing that i try to do you know everything that i do in my novels impacts the characters and it stays with them it doesn't leave them you know it, it's it's i i write a lot of magic so it's a lot of um you know they get they get seriously wounded and it's like oh well drink this and you're fine like it's those are easy because I don't want to deal with, like I said, the 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 shot to the back yeah. of Samuel Jackson's leg. If you're going to do that, then you've got to deal with the ramifications of that damage. Yeah. And you live in a world that doesn't have magical potions that can heal that. So now you've got nine months of the guy can't actually of reconstruction walk. surgery. Yeah. Um, so like that's different. That's a different story that we'd be telling. But I do want that emotional damage and that that moral damage and that that humanity damage to stick with my characters and make them make hard decisions or make hard decisions maybe a little easier for them as they travel through their story. And so that's the thing that I probably would recommend the most is, is really tracking the the actual effect of having lived through these moments that we're that we're putting it through because they're they're horrible, especially if you're, you know writing what we write, which is this, you know, high-end epic fantasy type thing that, that these are big, horrible, terrifying events. Yeah. You so put your characters through hell and then you're like, and then they have tea. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, your character's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I hate that. I mean, it's why I pick on one of those. Which is not to say that you can't have psychopaths. Like I do have a psychopath in my story. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And those characters are fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then that is a psychopath and it's meant to be a psychopath. Right, exactly. But it's one of the reasons, the, the biggest things that I pick, or the biggest thing that I pick on, on Star Wars, A New Hope, the first Star Wars yeah. movie is you have Luke Skywalker come back and find the people who raised him from a child are burnt and crispy and dead on the, on the front lawn. And he's like, oh, sad. And yeah. then later that day the man he met yesterday gets killed and he's like no my world is broken <laughs> wow that seems odd to me <laughs> the guy you met yesterday means more to you than the people who raised you <laughs> ouch 
ja, ja, ja. I try to avoid that. I try to, you know, go, mm-hmm. okay, his parents just, and I know they're not his parents, but they, they're his parents. They raised him. Yeah. He was a baby when he was given to them. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, you got to feel a little bit more than, oh, bummer. Bummer, dude. <laughs> Let's go, let's go drink something at Mose Isley Spaceport. That's going to be cool. Like it's, and, and he never goes back to them. There is literally no time on any scene ever in the Star Wars franchise does Luke Skywalker ever go, oh, man, I, I really feel sad that my, my, my parents, parents were murdered. Yeah. He never mourns. He never is remorseful over it. He literally, it's never mentioned again, doesn't care. <laughs> like little things like that bug the crap out of me as a storyteller because it's, it's you're just not paying attention. Um, the movie that I watched last night, the kids' movie, there's two brothers, the only ones in the that we've ever introduced to. They're the only family members. Yeah. And the main character is the nephew of the good brother and the nephew of the bad brother. Okay. <laughs> it drove me batty the whole movie. There's no other siblings. It was they're just introduced as a family of two brothers, but somehow they both have a nephew. That doesn't work. Literally, bugged me the whole movie. Okay, so my what did they have a sister that's dead or then you have to say it in the movie at some point, right? <laughs> The crazy thing is, is he looks exactly like the good brother. Same hair, same face, same everything. Why isn't he the good brother's son? I don't understand. Yeah. Like it drove me batty. The whole movie, I just kept going, who is your father? Who is your father? Is it Darth Vader? Is Darth Vader your father? No. It, it drove me crazy. I couldn't get past it. Uh, I have such an issue with some of the like orphan things. There are so many orphans in fantasy. It's just it's it's frightening to me. Nobody's parents live live past the point where their children are like I don't know twelve. <laughs> so. The, the one Why, of, nobody's ever married nobody has children no like what ah, i mean dragon lance yeah, yeah uh, sure there, there's there's examples of it uh, but one of the funniest things about the genesis saga to me is so the the thro- there's 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 multiple characters and they're they're protagonists and all that but there's there's really two main protagonists and they're both brothers yeah um yeah. now they're it's a family of five though so they're they have other five yeah uh, they've got two sisters and a younger brother. And then there's a cousin that also lives with them that was raised by them after his parents died. So technically six kids in this household, but the story really revolves around two of the brothers. Mm. And the craziest thing is when I started getting emails about their father. So they're farmers and their father is this salt of the earth, great moral compass character. Mm. And I mean, you met him when you when you read the beginning of yep. of yep. that. I got so many emails off of him of, oh, I see what you're doing with the father. He's actually like this secret wizard mage <laughs> bad. I'm like, no, he, he's he's a farmer. He doesn't do it. He's not a part of the story other than being the the the, the, 
the I rock mean, that raised parents. <laughs> well, he's the rock that raised these. He's what, you know, yeah. what I did was gave the moral compass so that you can see where they got their moral compass from. But, but they come from, you know, a happily married couple and, and they, you know, they're, they're the parents are in the story, you know, they go home occasionally. Mm. And it's, I think the, one of the reasons I've always thought this, I think one of the reasons why so many people keep trying to look for what I'm doing with their father is because no other family has a father <laughs> on the main characters. And they're like, well, obviously he's got to be in there for some other reason. There's no other reason to have him in there. Otherwise you just have him dead. I'm like, <laughs> or he's just alive. <laughs> like, like fathers don't have to die. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've, I've probably gotten not many, but I've probably gotten 25, 30 emails mm specifically asking me or telling me what thoughts of what they think that this character is going to, you know, this character's arc is going to be. And it's just funny to me that I got so many people that are so interested in the father. That's just a farmer and nothing but a farmer. And like, it's just, I really thought that was kind of cool that they read so much into it. And one of the reasons is, like I said, I think it's just because he has, their parents are alive. Yeah. And so they're like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't leave the parents alive if there wasn't some magical thing you were doing with them. Um, except for, I agree with you that parents don't have to be dead. They don't have to be dead. They don't. They can just be there. They can be alive. Like, and the heroes go off and they have their adventures. And it really has nothing. I mean, you know, me and you have careers that our parents don't have. You know, I can have adventures without them and they can still be alive while I'm having my adventure. Yeah. They don't have to be dead. Yeah. but you're no. right For reason yeah it yeah. does I, add... I, I did kill louis father uh but i i killed him i killed him with he just had a disease and died and the only reason why i did was because i didn't want his influence on louis life like well, and, but and from like a child period you know so right. i killed him when louis was like i don't know three <laughs> right and there are story reasons for doing it yeah uh, and, but there were story reasons of, of why I, I didn't have my you know yeah. those, those brothers characters dead i wanted to show the readers because you know there is one scene where you start two scenes there's two scenes where you're actually at home with the younger brother the older brother has already moved off and he's, he's on his adventure yeah. but the younger brother starts his story starts at home and there's two scenes before he leaves actually there's a couple now that i'm thinking about it it's been a while there's about the, three scenes from, uh, from I what i remember from reading it. About three or four scenes but yeah uh, you, you get to see the family life you've read it you've read it since i had yeah and it's it's really you see where the characters learned how to be what they are and then it makes more or then you get to kind of understand why they make the decisions they make as they yeah. move into the world and as they have you know have these really hard death mm. you know type things that are the decisions that they're going to have to make you get to go oh but they they were raised this way so you know this is how they would act they're not too goody two shoes or whatever because they came from this salt of the earth kind of environment and so yeah it's it's the reason why i did it so it's a story motivated reason why the parents are alive um but it was also why are all parents dead in fantasy? Like, how can we never meet their parents? Yeah. Um, or, you know, and not all. I mean, in, in the Wheel of Time, uh, Rand Althor's dad is alive. His mom is not because, you know, that's a part of the story. I'm pretty in in sure. Game of Thrones, Thrones, there's plenty of parents. Sometimes to our regret, sometimes to, you know. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Although I will say, you can see with Tywin Lannister why his children turned out the way they do. Certainly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Bad parenting example number one right here. And, and inbreeding also adds to the insanity. Yeah. Speaking so. of parenting, just on a side note, like to finish that thought, when I look at Thor, the movie, if Odin was actually trying, could he have screwed up Loki more than he, than he did? Because he literally, he literally created the worst possible situation. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that I loved. You know, I am a geek. So not only do I read books and comic books and watch movies and TVs, I am in the gaming industry as well. So I yeah. do play a lot of video games. And the new God of War, the, the latest version of the God of War games, yes. I think it was yeah. One of the most amazing things about that is the relationship between um, Kratos and his and child. His, son. And his child, yes. There's some breathtaking moments in that game. Some breathtaking moments of watching this, you know, especially because I played the whole franchise. Hmm. So I've already, you know, as Kratos, I killed my wife and daughter. You know, I've already lived through that where I murdered them. I didn't know it was them at the time. I was tricked, which is why I ended up killing Ares because he tricked me into killing my own family. So obviously I'm going to go kill him now. I don't care that he's a god. So there's, you know, that's that's what you get from from playing the whole franchise and really understanding the story. But but even, you know, there, you know that he's already lost family, wife and child. But even if you didn't, you still know that he's this broken warrior kind of thing and watching him raise this this son on his own because, you know, I mean, yeah, the kid is 10 or 11 or whatever. And the mother's just died. But it is it's, it's just I'm pretty sure that the that the game story is on YouTube. It's worth watching. Yeah, like if you're not really a game is. player, it's worth just watching the story. They did such a fantastic job with the story elements of that game it's, it's really nice like there are three games that to me have got the most gorgeous stories um it's it's god of war New horizon. horizon horizon zero dawn mm-hmm. and ghost of Tsushima. which i'd throw oh, i would throw witcher ghost. into that witcher has a great story love love yeah, playing witcher yeah. i would throw um uh, any of the Naughty Dog, uh, you know, the, the Uncharted series. Yes, the main character's named Drake, and it's really fun to play when they call <laughs> But great stories. But also uh, their uh, zombie one, which is The Last of Us, uh, mm. at least the first one. The yeah. second one I've got a lot of problems with um, and have never finished it. But that's the only Naughty Dog game that I didn't finish was the second one. But the story to the first Last of Us is it's one of the best zombie stories I've ever experienced and you get to play it, but yeah. the story is amazing. The characters, the, the, what you go through, the decisions you make and all of that are fantastic. Like Assassin's Creed should have been great, but I just think they just lost the story in it. Um, uh, Assassin's Creed focused too much on the assassin, not enough in the story. Well, I think they lost the story. They were, I think I, it feels to me like they were like, oh, this is the story. And then yeah. they're like, but that leads me to a different idea. What if we made this the story? Yeah. And so they, <laughs> the next game, they just kind of ignored everything and went another direction. And yeah. I don't know. I just don't feel like they've ever really found themselves mm. uh, on that. They're fun to play. I played all of them, but mm. 
but I but the story story standpoint, I wouldn't say that they are my favorite. Yeah. Um, I am in negotiations right now with a video game company uh, to write a very small uh, single play game. Uh, it'll be for the phone. It's an app game, but it's got it'll have about an hour of story. It's probably got about eight to ten hours of playtime. Uh, but they're looking at me to write the the story from it, and and I've already you know I've looked at their concept and and what they want to do, and I've got some really really exciting ideas. So I hope I get that gig because yeah. it'll just be me writing basically. The whole story. <laughs> um, but it is a small you know yeah. like I said eight to ten hours of gameplay. But um, I'll talk about that more if I get the gig and and you know as it yeah. develops and all of that. But uh, kind of excited about that because. You know, it'll yeah, have even, it actually has a lot of the the zero dawn uh, kind of elements yeah. to it. It's it's post apocalyptic. You start off in kind of a birthing chamber where you were created. Uh, so just like zero dawn, it has a lot of the same elements of that. It, you know, even I, th- I guess it brings an important point. Even in video games, mm-hmm. the stories we remember are the ones with character arcs. Yep. The ones where the 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 main character, the character you play changes over the course of the story. So if you're out there and you're listening to us, think about how your characters change over the course of the story. Because it's, it's, again, those transformations on the physical layer are vitally important. You know, I focus on the invisible layer. So I focus on the thematic elements because if you don't have those, you don't have a story. But how we deliver the transformation on the invisible layer is by transforming on the physical layer. The characters have to grow and change, which is how we show the audience that we've moved from the wrong side of the theme to the right side of the theme. It's that simple. You know, the physical layer is important, even though I I always have it play second fiddle when I'm teaching, because everyone gets that. Everyone gets that we need to blow up a Death Star. We need to find the sword. We need to slay the dragon. We need to save the princess. We need to whatever. Those are all fine. They're fine and dandy. But if you don't lock them into the, the invisible layer, if you don't lock them into the humanizing elements that are going to connect the reader to what's going on, then you don't really have a story and, and you're going to have uh, less reviews. You're going to have negative reviews where they're like, eh, eh, I don't really remember it, you know? Like I said, no one, not a lot of people remember any of the stories from any of the Assassin's Creed. But if you've played the Uncharted series, Last of Us, Witcher, you know, all these other games that we've been talking about, you're going to remember the story of them. Oh, Mass Effect. That's the one. Mass Effect. I was like, that had a great story. That was, I I knew there was one more that was a really good story that I wanted to throw into that pile. So yeah, it's, but you know, like I'm wearing my Doom, my Doom t-shirt. I love Doom. (laughs) But you don't play Doom. Like I don't remember you don't play any Doom of the story. For the story. Yeah. It's not a story game. It's 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 a it's a fun game to play. It's it's go through. It's the like level. erotica. You don't read it for the story. It's a gushy feeling inside. That's all it's for, man. I like that. I love that callback. Callbacks yeah. are so important in storytelling. And that was a brilliant one. So yeah, that's that's characters and and developing the character and making sure that they are impacted and that impact stays with them and grows them. These are all things that I feel like a lot of writers overlook that they just, they let it, it, it's, it's almost like those events become water on a duck's back. It just rolls off of them and they aren't, they don't carry it with them. You know, everything, think about the, the stuff that, that, you know, I'll just, I'll get real here for a second. 
you listening, think about the one thing that you've done in your life that you regret the most. And we all have it. We all have that one thing that, oh my God, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. It's embarrassing. It's, it's horrifying. We would go back and change it if we could. We all have that moment. But it's made you who you are today. It impacted you and has, has shaped your life. And you carry it with you to this very day. Your characters need to be no different. And I think on that note, we'll close today. Thank you very much for listening. Yep. If you've enjoyed this episode, you will probably like Marie's YouTube channel, Just In Time Worlds, and Drake's courses on creative writing that he offers through Drake U. So make sure to check those out. If you have any suggestions or comments, please email them to releasingyourinnerdragon at gmail.com and we will be back next week for another episode.